Hello and welcome, friends, to this week's edition of Sustainability. Now with me, Justin Mogg, right here on your community radio station. We are Forward Radio, WFMP Louisville. We broadcast from here in the historic Hayburn Building, right in the heart of downtown at 4th and Broadway at 106.5 FM. Or you might be listening to us on our live stream at forwardradio.org. You can also catch our podcast there and you can become a part of this station there we rely entirely on listener support so pitch in twenty dollars today and you could sponsor everything you're hearing in the next 24 hours how exciting is that and we also rely entirely on volunteers maybe you've got an idea for a program maybe you want to try something out maybe you want to be a guest on a show go to forwardradio.org click participate and let us know what you're thinking we want to lower the bar for public access to the airwaves here at forward radio well what we do on sustainability now each week is bringing folks from around the community Community who are engaged in this process of transformation of our city to a more sustainable place. And what could be better than talking to two urban planners today? I'm so thrilled to have Rachel Casey and Tony Mattingly in this studio with me. They are Metro Louisville urban planners in the Office of Advanced Planning and Sustainability. Welcome, friends. Awesome. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, thank you so much, Justin. Yeah, it's awesome. great to always sit down with urban planners and because it's all about envisioning the future, right? That's that's what you get to do every day. What a great job. Yeah, <laughs> we think so. <laughs> so tell us about Metro's Office of Advanced Planning and Sustainability, uh, sort of a merger of some past offices and past structurings in Metro government. Uh, and tell us about the work that you do. The Office of Advanced Planning and Sustainability, like you said, uh, it kind of sounds like a merger, and that's because it is a little bit. So You guys need a good acronym. Yeah. Um, we, uh, we, we're we colloquially uh, Team Awesome. That's our acronym. Okay. Team Awesome. <laughs> um, I like that. But we are a multidisciplinary team across lots of different facets. We do long-range planning um, that, that Tony and I do in both sort of neighborhood and community planning, as well as long-range transportation planning. Um, and that includes for cars, bikes, um, pedestrians, transit, um, across across the gamut of modes. And then we also have our sustainability team um, that I think right. you've probably spoken to in the past. And they focus on all of the city's sustainability goals. So those are our renewable energy goals, our carbon neutral goals, all of those. We have many programs to increase sustainability in the community, like programs for cool roofs and solar programs. Uh, so all the things that you think about when you think about environmental sustainability. And then we also, even though it's not in the name, um, have uh, <laughs> the Office of Public Art. Oh, uh, really? be Arts and Creative mm -hmm. Industries within our department as well. Um, and so we, we have that team who um, oversees all of the public art collections in the city, as well as any grant programs. Um, we have a large amount of grant programs that go out to different arts agencies every year uh -huh. um, throughout the city. And so uh, our office also oversees that. So we have wow, lots and no lots idea. of different things <laughs> that I, go on in the office. I promise I won't planning. ask you too much about it, but I want to know more <laughs> about this art thing. When you say public art, does that mean outdoor art? So it's it's an interesting designation. Uh, Jessica might might get <laughs> yeah. mad at me for, but yeah, no. uh oh, but, I put you on no, the spot. No, no, no. But um, <laughs> I think there's a difference between public art and art in public places. Um, so public art would be art that is owned by the city, that is funded by city money, so that it is truly okay. public art. And then art in public places would be something that might be privately funded or on private property, but it's right. still in a public place where you can see what's going on. So really, what we oversee is that public art um, 
portion of it because if it's on private property, things like that, wow. you don't have as much regulation. So we really oversee that that public huh. art component. All right. I'm going to leave it there. I have a zillion <laughs> other questions about art, but that's another interview. <laughs> Today, we're going to talk especially about some of this long-range planning you were talking about in terms of things like neighborhood and area plan. I don't know what, you, what the terminology is, but as well as maybe we'll touch a little bit on the long-range transportation planning that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. But before we dive into that, I, when you started talking about the work of the old sustainability office, they have plans too, right? So there's a climate action plan, or mm -hmm. I don't know that it's called that, um, a sustainability plan and a resilience plan? Yeah. For the, so how does that all mesh with this other planning efforts? How, how do you coordinate all that? Yeah, so um, that was part of the reason that the Office of Sustainability and the Office of Advanced Planning were brought together was yeah. that synergy between, um, you know, our other efforts and the sustainability efforts and knowing that all of our goals that we're trying to achieve as a city are looking at that kind of 5, 10, 20 year time horizon. Right. How do we how do we move ourselves toward where we want to be? Right. So our office was very involved in the city's comprehensive planning efforts that took place a couple of years ago that created the Plan 2040 Comprehensive Plan for the City. As a part of that, we identified these five chase principles. So there's connected, healthy, authentic, sustainable, and equitable. Um, and everything we do tries to go back to nice. those five principles. So when the sustainability office was brought into the advanced planning office, it was kind of a, a natural partnership there. Wow, cool. And then the other thing that came to mind when we were talking about like long-range transportation plan, well, immediately my brain went into, wait, TARC is doing a mm -hmm. long-range plan right now, and I've been involved in some KIPTA long-range <laughs> planning efforts. So again, is it part of your role, I guess, to kind of court, make sure those things are all following the same principles at least? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, one of the challenges of uh, large organizations in general is the kind of silos that are created inside yes. of them. Yes. <laughs> we, um, you know, in Metro, are uh, we like to think one of the primary offices that tries to reach across all the silos of Metro government and bring people together yeah. to really coordinate our activities to try to bring about, again, the future that the community keeps asking us to bring about. Right, right. Well, gosh, and then I think about, like, there's public institutions in town, like the University of Louisville, which has just started its campus master planning effort. Mm -hmm. But it's been like 15 years since we did this. So, boy, these things, uh, I can imagine how complicated it gets to just coordinate all of this. But uh, this is really exciting. Um, so why is it important, do you think, to do this sort of planning efforts rather than letting the city grow organically? So it's important to create these sort of long-range plans so that we can hear from the community oh, what they okay. want so that we can create a collective vision um, based on community input um, so like you said if it is allowed to grow organically um, then it might be left up to people with more power or people with more money right um, and in this case when you do long-range planning and a lot uh, a large part of what we do um, in our work is going out into the community and trying to build a cohesive vision either for the entire city um, with a comprehensive plan or for certain neighborhoods through our neighborhoods and area plans or um, on our transportation corridors when we do that. So we want to make sure that the vision that's being built and the vision that our institutions are going to look to are based on what the community desires and mm. what their vision for the future is um, because we want to make sure that 
all voices are heard um, in the process for building and growing our city rather than just a certain number of voices. Wonderful. Yeah, certainly, um, you know, part of, I think, the importance of the work of planning and something that we're trying to do a little bit better job of communicating is how the notion of kind of organic growth is a little bit of a misnomer to begin with. <laughs> okay, so a good. lot of the, uh, a lot of an almost every, I mean, every major infrastructure and transportation project certainly uh, is the result of some sort of larger system and planning effort, yeah, um, whether yeah. it happens kind of, uh, as Rachel's saying, kind of rooted in the community or certainly the result of uh, other planning efforts that were happening kind of in the mid-century where we had major master planning efforts that planned for the highways, the plan right. for, um, you know, urban renewal and things like that. So, you know, <laughs> we are trying to bring the planning process obviously into the 21st century and we're trying to help connect the community to those processes that ultimately deliver the large-scale transportation um, and city changing projects that will be happening because we do have a lot of power as a community and we invest a ton of money into all of the things that are happening in the city whether it be like you were saying our transportation projects housing is another major investment that's going right. on right now just community development work in general and so the question is is where is that where are those funds going where are those investments going and are they going into the highest kind of return on investment projects mm -hmm. um, and how can we coordinate all of our activities to again bring a about that vision that the community has for itself. And I hope when we talk about some of the specific plans we're going to go over today that we, we describe the process of how how we seek that public mm -hmm. participation, because uh, that seems like the, one of these essential roles that you all are playing. Do, do you want to say something broadly about it? I will just say that it's always a challenge. We always, <laughs> we always wish we could do more than yeah. we're able to do. And in uh, today's kind of balkanized media and right. technology kind of spaces, it's even harder in some ways right. to reach as many people as we mm -hmm. would like to reach. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and a lot of people just don't have the luxury of long-range planning, right? We're so caught up in our day-to-day. -day. Some people are just living paycheck to paycheck, all those kinds of things that... We can't afford to take the time to look ahead. And I wanted to just briefly think about what, what you all mean when you say long range. What, what does that mean to an urban planner or specifically for Louisville Metro? I mean, I'm someone who's concerned about global, the global climate crisis. I was a geology major. I think in terms of eons, right? <laughs> for me, a long range plan would be nothing short of 100 years, right? But what about for you all in this work? What, what do you mean when you say a long range plan? Sure. So I think that we start with that comprehensive plan that we were talking about, that plan 2040. Um, that's actually something that's required by state law oh, for every it? city huh. to have. Um, so you huh. have to have some sort of um, comprehensive plan. And those generally give a 20-year outlook. Um, they're required to be updated fully every 20 years by state law yeah. um, and then have progress reports every five years. But that's huh. a little too detailed. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, <laughs> The, um, so we kind of start with that 20-year vision 20 year time horizon. Um, okay. for the entire city. Okay. And then as we look to the more detailed plans for neighborhoods, areas, and transportation corridors, um, we start to probably look more at the 10 to 15-year oh, really? um, time okay. horizon. Um, some of our neighborhood plans um, are 20 years old at this point, and so like some of the ones we'll talk about today are being 
updated now. Um, but we like to think of them in sort of that 10 to 15 year timeline. Um, 10 probably is more accurate for a community, um, like a neighborhood or an area. Yeah. Um, and 15 might be more accurate for a trans, like a huge transportation corridor, like Broadway, right, right here beside right, us. Right. Um, that might take a lot longer to implement just for, you know, various reasons. So I think it's, yeah, we start with that 20 year time horizon and okay. then try to build, um, 10 to 15 into that. So here's another slightly philosophical look at this before we dive into some of these specific plans. Um, I imagine that most of these planning efforts are framed around the idea of how do we manage growth? Sustainability kind of can't be built on in, indefinite growth, infinite growth. Of course, there's some growth in some areas at certain times, but it, we've kind of built our whole economy about infinite growth, and that's just not sustainable. So are there ever plans for contraction? How do we responsibly manage contraction? And I think Louisville in general has had the luxury of being a growing city, uh, but surely there are cities like Detroit, for instance, mm -hmm. that are really contracted. Um, so I don't know. if Do you have any thoughts about that, or, or is it most of what you're doing focused on growth? I would say a lot of the plans that we do in Louisville are focused on how do we want to grow into the future and what are the best ways that growth can be hopefully uh, encouraged to help the community support, again, those chase principles that we have. But definitely, to your point about Detroit and other cities, um, and growth is inequitable across our community yeah, as right, well. Right, right, yeah. So some of the challenges we certainly have in the planning process is that so much of the economic activity that happens in our community is privately driven. And so how much control do we have kind of over the investments and, and where they go and what they look like? It, it's more limited than sometimes we wish it were and sometimes the community wishes it was. Yeah. But um, <laughs> we are certainly, while we're looking at the long term, that kind of 15, 20 year time horizon, we are also pretty pragmatic in trying to make sure that the things that we produce will provide actual value that they're not going to sit on the shelf so you're always kind of bridging that kind of ideal world that you would like to see with the real world we know we yeah we have and i think we're also trying to make sure that like you said we through long-range planning cannot prevent that idea of you know an infinite growth model but we can try to direct that growth to places that might be more sustainable thinking about the fact that we don't want to continue to grow our automobile use we would prefer right, to right. grow towards more um, people um, taking the bus, more people walking, more people cycling. And so we try to direct that growth. We, you know, don't want to keep directing our growth into very non-dense residential subdivisions and suburbs. We would rather see people, you know, move into more dense areas um, within the city, right? you know, talking about building up instead of building out and things like that. So while we might not be able to tackle the actual, you know, underlying problem of the <laughs> infinite growth model, we try to at least make plans that direct that growth into a more sustainable future. And really the power of providing people with options is so important. Yes. You know, whenever there's a monoculture, you know, in, in the sustainability world, right, it's a, a vulnerable system. Yeah. And so the more options people have for housing, the more options people have for transportation, they provide us multiple paths to a better future instead of trying to rely more narrowly on a single path forward. That's extremely well put. I knew this was going to be a rich conversation. <laughs> I'm so happy to have in the studio with me today Rachel Casey and Tony Mattingly, urban planners with Metro Government. We're talking about uh, the process of long-range planning and advanced planning in general here in Louisville, and we're going to just dive into some specific neighborhood plans coming up, so stay tuned for that. But I wanted to ask one last broad question before we do that. 
who is responsible for implementing the plans that you guys come up with? And then what happens when a developer comes along and proposes something that's not really in the plan? <laughs> What's the process? Sure. So as far as implementation goes, it really varies depending on what type of plan it is. Okay. So when we talk about neighborhood and area plans, these, um, and we can get more into the details, but these have many components. They have land use components, transportation components, housing components, and they often also include other things like maybe historic preservation or open space. Or right. They have lots of different um, components. So they um, are much more detailed and focused, and they have all of these different aspects to them. So um, each one of those neighborhood plans comes with an implementation matrix that we call it. So each recommendation um, has, um, so there's a, there's a matrix and it has each recommendation. And then with each recommendation comes a set of um, responsible parties for implementation. Oh, so okay. that, you know, varies as far as neighborhood and area plans go, because if there's something that's in a neighborhood plan as regarding their roads like say um there's a suggestion for speed humps on a certain road in sure. the neighborhood that would fall into the you know metro public works um so then they would be responsible for implementation or if there's issues with stormwater drainage then we would have to look to msd um to help us with that so there's a lot of um different factors at play in implementing the neighborhood and area plans but really what they serve as are these um policy documents for metro government and for all the agencies of metro government to look at and say, okay, we're going to be making changes in this neighborhood or we're doing some kind of work in this neighborhood and we want to make sure that whatever we do aligns with the vision um, that the community has said that they would like to see. I see. Um, and then as far as transportation plans go, they're actually, believe it or not, a little bit simpler um, because as we make long-range transportation plans for the entirety of the Broadway corridor and Bardstown right, Road right. and Preston, um, those are projects that we can use these long-range planning documents to apply for federal funding or apply oh, sure. um, to the state, um, and they will be able to implement those. So those are actually they have it's 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 a it's a more direct path to implementation, but it's not always uh, simpler or easier. But they definitely have a more um, direct and exact path to implementation. Huh. So. The, the phrase that keeps buzzing in my mind, legally binding. These plans aren't really legally binding, but you mentioned they're like policy documents. So they do, there's a legal role for them, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and and they are consulted when a developer proposes something? or So, yes. So the neighborhood and area plans are currently the only ones that are able to be adopted by Metro Council. Okay. So, they're, so those are legislatively adopted um, as amendments to that comprehensive plan that we were talking about. Okay. Um, so currently those are the ones that are adopted and they're... Metro Council votes yes, and then the mayor signs it, so it's an you know an officially adopted ordinance. Um, but it does not have any regulatory power, like you were just saying. It does not enact any new legislation or new regulation. Okay. Um, but when um, a development comes up in a neighborhood, let's say somebody wants to build something new and they have to change the zoning from residential to commercial. Sure. Then um, that will go through the process of the planning commission and the staff review that they do for compliance. And as a part of that review, they have to make sure that it is in compliance with the comprehensive plan. 
and if there is an associated neighborhood plan they have to make sure that it is in compliance with that neighborhood plan so this might lead to the tweaking of the proposal somewhat the yes. city might say okay there's some great things about this but x y and z are problematic they don't quite fit in the neighborhood plan yeah they could some something as simple as someone's building a new development and um they don't want to put sidewalks out in yeah. front <laughs> and they look at the neighborhood plan and the neighborhood plan says we need sidewalks right, here right. so they can say um you know we're not going to allow you to not put sidewalks here. We're going to we're going to make sure that you put sidewalks out because that's what the neighborhood has requested. Thank you for standing up for <laughs> sidewalks. Somebody needs to. Um, so, OK, help me out here. Help me with my neighborhood. I live in Paris Town Point. OK, this is a place that's having tons of development right now, and it has tons of public land that's being disposed of. Right. Um, do we have a neighborhood plan? Is it part of some broader area plan? I don't even know. So there is not, to my knowledge, a neighborhood or area plan that includes Paristown. Um, like you said, there there is a lot of development efforts and a lot of publicly, I want to say they're not publicly funded, but development efforts that involve metro government right, yeah. um, in Paristown with the redevelopment of the urban government center property. Right. Um, so there is definitely a lot of involvement and a lot of community involvement um, for metro government, but there is not an officially adopted um, na- neighborhood or area plan okay. that includes Paristown. So why is that and how could that ever be changed? So as an office, we are dedicated to always looking at our processes and saying, what are we doing that could use improvement? Um, How can we make sure that the work that we're doing uh, is really delivering as much as we can for as much of the community as possible? Um, And so we look um, at cities kind of around the country, and we are trying to incorporate kind of some of their best practices uh, into our planning processes. Um, it is a certainly a challenge that we have where a lot of our neighborhood plans historically have uh, been brought to us as an idea by the Metro Council person in that area oh, okay. or um, by a local neighborhood association um, via their council person. Um, unfortunately, at this time, just because of the bandwidth of our office and some of the way that our neighborhood planning systems are structured, yeah. um, we do not uh, currently engage in a lot of proactive planning where we say, um, you know, this area is based upon, you know, professional opinion and all of that um, in need of an area plan. Um, and we currently don't have at the a mechanism for uh, unfortunately providing every area of our community right. with a yeah. neighborhood plan. And that's some things that we're hoping that we may be able to make some progress on in the future because we do really think these are important tools for the community. They're important um, to kind of help, like we said, bridge the community uh, vision with kind of the official action that Metro has uh, and takes. Uh, but um, but yeah, so not every area of our community has a neighborhood plan at the moment, um, and certainly that's something we're hoping to, to you know, kind of do more of in the future. Um, but it sounds like I should start with my council person. Mm-hmm. Yes, as far as like the way the the current um, process is set up, it, they generally um, in the past and currently um, are often initiated by the Metro Council okay. um, person, um, the Metro Council representative for the area. But like Tony said, I think we we realize and understand um, that this is an issue yeah. and that we would really, really like to find some ways um, to address this and, and have a more holistic um, approach to yeah. this type of neighborhood planning. 
Well, let's dive into some neighborhoods that do have planning process going on. Uh, I know that there have been some recent public meetings about Clifton and Crescent Hill. What's sure. going on there? So, um, so in Clifton and Crescent Hill, um, we're we're calling this one the Clifton and Crescent Hill Area Plan. Um, one of the things that we have adapted to um, more more in recent um, history in the last um, f- like five to seven years mm-hmm. is that we used to do um, you know back in in the aughts um, we used to do neighborhood planning for individual neighborhoods. Um, so th- there is a Clifton neighborhood plan and a Crescent Hill neighborhood plan, and there was you know a Bonnie Castle neighborhood plan, and yeah. they were just these really small specific yeah, areas, yeah. <laughs> and. Um, w- one thing that we realized um, through doing these is that a lot of the times these neighborhoods that are right next to each other that are adjoining and often also share, share character a yeah. common commercial corridor yeah, or yeah. something like that have a lot of similarities and have a lot of uh, similar issues and concerns yeah. um so you know, in order to address that, and also, like Tony said, we have sort of limited staff capacity, and so to also help us out with that a little bit, so we could cover more of the city um, with a neighborhood plan, we started to sort of look at these neighborhoods that were similar to one another and um, do an area plan for them together. Uh, and so the Clifton and Crescent Hill area plan um, was brought to us by. Um, both of the neighborhood associations there, as well as uh, Councilmember Hollander for um, that District 9, uh, Metro Council District 9 area. And so we are doing um, a neighborhood area plan for both of those. It was kicked off in late May, and so we have had an initial public meeting on August 13th to collect just basic information. So kind of the way that we do these neighborhood area planning processes is the first thing we do is just try to gather some general feedback about the neighborhood. Right. What do you love? Um, what do you think is a concern? Where do you see um, opportunities for the future? So that we can just get some basic ideas um, of one, um, what what people want their neighborhood to look like, uh, and two, the things that you know they think could use improvement. And so we're sort of in that, um, what we like to call the visioning process, the visioning stage of the planning process for Clifton and Crescent Hill. Um, we still have um, a survey, an online survey out for that one if you're interested. Um, we have individual websites for each of our neighborhood oh, plans. Okay. So for this one, it is www.cliftoncrescenthillplan.com. Okay. It's, a, it's probably the longest one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, but yes, you can go on there to the website and you can um, take like a 10 question survey um, about each neighborhood. And then you can also um, see all of the documents, um, documentation, meeting notes, all the information that we've gathered so far. So we try to be really transparent so that if you miss the meeting or you're coming into the process in the middle, um, you can see everything that's come before. So you don't feel like um, you missed out on the beginning of the process. You can you can review everything that's been done up right. to that point. And surely anyone can take a survey, right? But the, who do you really try and target your outreach to? Is it just homeowners or residents or people who work there or business owners who do you really try and reach out to so we try to get like i said as much of a holistic vision as we can okay so we try to target all of those individuals um there certainly has been um a trend in the past with neighborhood planning to um 
focus on homeowners and it's not because we were trying to focus on homeowners it's just that those happen to be the individuals who show up up. they have (laughs) they have the loudest voices they have they have the most concern for the neighborhood because they have a you know a financially vested interest it makes sense why they would but um we are really trying to expand the idea of who lives in a neighborhood um and we really try to make sure that we're getting people not who are just homeowners but people who are renters Mm -hmm. um people who are long-term renters people who are short-term renters because Mm -hmm. some people have lived in a neighborhood for 20 or 25 years and that doesn't make their voice any less important just because they rent um, instead instead of own their home and then we also do um reach out to the businesses and as far like in clifton and crescent hill there's obviously frankfurt avenue that runs right down the middle of of those neighborhoods and many of those businesses our local businesses. Yeah, that's why I love um, that. Yeah, and that's we want to make sure that you know we take care of the businesses as well, yeah. because you know you can't have a thriving community, um, you know, if if you just hear the voices of the residents or just the business owners <laughs> yeah. or just the institutional representatives. Yeah. Um, so we try to include all the voices that we possibly can, and and we don't just have the online survey. We often um, use what we call an advisory group to help us oh, in okay. the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a, a group of individuals who maybe want to be a little bit more involved yeah. um, in the process. Yeah. Um, and so we have about 20 of those for the um, the Clifton and Crescent Hill area plan. And they help us um, spread the word with their neighbors. Because right. Tony and I obviously don't, we, we can't live in every neighborhood. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we don't live there and we're not on the ground and we're not walking around, walking our dog every night or, right, you know, right. walking mm-hmm. around the neighborhood, mm-hmm. walking up to Frankfurt Avenue to to visit the businesses so it's really helpful to have those um that advisory group who really helps us spread the word um amongst their neighbors um to to try and um gather as much feedback as possible so we really rely on those advisory groups a lot because we know that they are the experts on their neighborhood Um, and so we try to provide them with the information and resources um to spread the word and then um hope that they'll be excited enough about the process to to help bring others in Speaking today with Rachel Casey and Tony Mattingly, urban planners with Metro Louisville's Office of Advanced Planning and Sustainability. And we are talking about long-range planning and uh, neighborhood and area plans that they've been involved with. You can learn more at louisvilleky.gov. If you want to learn more about the Clifton and Crescent Hill area plan, go to cliftoncrescenthillplan.com. Let's talk about some other areas of our city. Uh, I want to talk about the city of Shively. That's an independent city. What is Metro Louisville doing (laughs) helping them with a long-range plan? So, uh, yes, that is uh, one of the plans that uh, I am uh, managing. Okay. And we have heard that question quite a bit. Um, <laughs> Don't they have their own plan? <laughs> um, actually, they. Uh, I'm not aware of, yes, uh, of yeah. any uh, out there um, on staff. That's uh, one of the unique kind of arrangements in Louisville since 2003 when merger happened. Right. And um, Louisville, the city of Louisville, uh, merged with uh, the county government. Um we as Metro have assumed the kind of responsibilities for countywide planning. Okay. And so we, uh, we do provide some assistance uh, at times to some of our uh, suburban municipalities uh, around Louisville Metro. Um, 
And, and they're like 120 of them or something, right? <laughs> there are many. There, there are a lot of them, yes. Um, and so Shively is a bit of a unique situation for us on the neighborhood planning front because it is its own municipality. Um, it is a bit of a partnership between Louisville Metro and the city of Shively. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they are helping to fund that planning effort. So um, we have been working pretty closely with the city government there um, in order to uh, to help them make a long-range plan for their community. Um, it provides some uh, interesting opportunities, we'll say, um, yeah. for that particular planning process because there is also this added uh, layer of, a, of government that can help bring about the ultimate recommendations in the plan. Yeah. Um, you know, we always work pretty closely with uh, neighborhood associations uh, in, in various communities across the city whenever we're doing these planning efforts. But, um, you know, there is a, a very uh, real legal distinction between a municipality and a neighborhood association. Yeah, so. yeah. And, well, the city of Shively is so unique in so many ways. Every time I go there, I feel like I'm stepping into sort of a, a almost a rural area. There's so much open land there. What's the planning process been like for those kinds of areas? It's a really interesting community. There's obviously a lot of history there. Yeah. And um, and so, you know, there are large um, areas and opportunity sites, as we like to yeah, call them, too. Yeah. So um, I know that um, there's a large golf course out that, yeah, in yeah. Shively that um, there are some questions about um, kind of what the future of that is going to look like. And we've heard a lot of feedback um, from people um, in Shively about what they would like to see there. Mm -hmm. um, and so we are kind of through the process trying to figure out what the best way to uh, make recommendations to bring about some of those ideas that people have. There are other conversations, we'll say, and topics that are regularly brought up, such as the impound lot oh, relocation right. um, that, that is yeah. kind of in the process and an open, active discussion. And so there uh, are certainly no shortage of interesting things to talk about in Shively. Okay. Um, a couple of years ago, Metro completed a major redesign of Dixie Highway. Yes. Um, and introduced um, our first kind of BRT light service, the Dixie Rapid, um, that TARC operates out through Shively. So there's been a lot of activity in Shively. There's certainly so much passion and interest in the Shively community and pride, I'll say, too, yeah. of Shively that we have had absolutely no problems um, <laughs> getting people to turn up to meetings, having people um, reach out to me oh, to kind of good. let me know of all the great things that are going on um, yeah. in Shively and how we can be um, as present as possible in that planning process. So is there a survey up for Shively, too, in a website? There is a survey up. We are a little farther along with uh, the Shively oh, okay. planning process than um, Clifton Crescent Hill is. Okay. So the website is planforshively.com. Nice. Um, we are kind of in the middle of the like recommendation kind of creation mm -hmm. stage of the process where we've done a lot of that existing conditions analysis mm -hmm. where we take a look at all of the data um, that's publicly available and say, all right, you know, what what is the situation on the ground today? Um, we've done a lot of community outreach so far to get initial feedback on what people see as um, kind of the strengths of their community, the opportunities in their community, and what they would like to see happen. Yeah. With each of these projects, we work with a consultant team to help pull the actual document together and do a lot of the kind of behind the scenes sure. work, um, just because it is a pretty labor intensive yeah. process and we are a pretty small team. <laughs> yeah, no, I imagine. Well, let's stay over on the west side of the city and talk about Algonquin Park Duval and Hallmark. 
community it, plan. How how far along is that one? Yes, yeah, so that one, um, I a project managed that one from the metro side. Um, that's another one like we were talking about where we see some neighborhoods that have similarities um, and are geographically um, close to one another. So we wanted to make sure that we encompassed all of them. Um, that one actually, it's kind of interesting. We we didn't want to make it even longer, but it's actually um, Algonquin, Park Duval, Hallmark, and unincorporated area. <laughs> unincorporated? Tell me about um, that. Well, there's an area sort of in between um, the, the uh, it's in between Shively, so it's just to the north of Shively. Oh, really? Um, but it's still outside what we call the Urban Services oh, District. Oh, it's um, the Old County. Yeah, okay, so okay. it's kind of, um, it's not technically unincorporated, but um, it just doesn't have like a specific neighborhood, neighborhood. name. Okay, okay. Um, but we wanted to make sure that we covered that sure. as yeah, well, okay. because, you know, if we have Shively and then we have the area just north of Shively in Algonquin yeah. and Park Duval and Hallmark, we want to make sure that we covered the whole area. And so that process has been um, going on a little bit longer um, since sort of the beginning of 2022. Um, and we have had multiple meetings, multiple advisory group meetings, um, and, a, a, and a big public meeting for that one where we gathered a bunch of vision uh, information. And we're sort of in the same place that Tony was talking about in Shively, uh, which is that drafting of the recommendations. Um, and so our uh, consultant um, for that one is currently working um, to put together uh, a series of recommendations out of the information that we heard from the community. Yeah. Um, and then uh, we'll probably be ready to present those recommendations in early October. We don't have exact dates um, set yet, but I would I would look for some information um, for some, some public meetings for um, that neighborhood plan um, in early October. Gonna make it hard on you and ask the URL again. Do you this know? one's so this oh, one's good. much easier. Okay, this one is just aphplan.com. Yeah. Okay. And this one, uh, same thing. You can go on there. You can um, see survey results from an early earlier survey. You can see all of the documents and things. Um, this is this one even has some really unique um, things that I think will be really helpful for the community moving forward and. We have had um, various stakeholder conversations with um, different metro agencies and institutions to talk about certain topics and issues. Mm -hmm. So we have an entire hour-long conversation um, on there that deals with environmental justice issues. So we have representatives from APCD and MSD um, and different organizations all together having a conversation. And so it really helps, I, I think, personally, the community to be able to see who controls what um, in these neighborhoods um, because there's a lot of, you know, issues specifically in these neighborhoods regarding odor. And, you know, it's it's a very enlightening video to be able to watch these agencies talk to one another and communicate with one another because sometimes, you know, you think you have an odor in your neighborhood. Yeah. Well, it must be in the air. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you might contact the air pollution control district, but if you contact them, you'll find out that it's actually coming from the sewers. Um, and so then that's actually something that they can't do anything about. So um, some very enlightening conversations um, on there recorded. And then there's also um, some other videos on transportation and um, on um land use so there's um, some interesting videos up there if anybody has an opportunity to go look at them excellent 
We only have five minutes left. I, I'm so bummed because I wanted to talk to you about some of these other neighborhood plans. I'll just quickly mention that you all have been working on a, a Berrytown neighborhood plan out east, another historic working class neighborhood that is super special and interesting. You're also working on a na- neighborhood plan for South Central and the airport area and then the Cherokee Triangle and Bonnie Castle neighborhood plan. I'll put links to all of these things in the show notes of the program that you can find at forwardradio.org if people want to learn more about those. But I just wanted to spend the last part of our time talking about some of these transportation corridor plans. Mm-hmm. Uh, Broadway all the way, since we're sitting here on Broadway, I really want to learn more about that. I've seen some of the initial work breaking Broadway down into three separate sections, right? Where are we with this planning process? So we uh, recently got some incredibly exciting news um, out of the federal government. Um, The U.S. Department of Transportation has funded two of uh, our kind of planning processes and studies. Um, One is the 9th Street, Reimagine 9th Street plan, which we received an implementation grant for. So that is incredibly exciting. Um, That's um, a $15.5 million grant from the federal government mixed with um, state and local funds to be over 20 25 million dollars of investment um, in the 9th street corridor for broadway we received a planning grant which is really exciting because these these as we said these transportation plans take a long time to go from idea to implementation and there are many steps along the way the first step is this visioning step and so the broadway all the way plan is what creates kind of the vision that allows us to uh, again, organize all of the activities that happen going forward, but also allow us to to apply for uh, those larger pots of money that allow us to do the more detailed work uh, of bringing the ideas to life. So the planning grant for Broadway All the Way uh, will allow us to take the vision that the document and the plan have created and take it all the way up to basically shovel-ready status, oh, wow. which is incredible because there's uh, a lot of engineering that has to happen. There's a lot of environmental uh, analysis that goes into, um, yeah. you know, the the preparation of, of those plans and making them ready for construction. There's a lot of utility coordination work that needs to happen. And so, you know, it's it's there's so many people involved. Sure. Um, it's. Uh, and there will be a lot of community engagement too that takes place um, because just because the visioning has been kind of done up to this point, those plans don't uh, say exactly what's going to happen on every single block. Sure. And so we want we will be engaging um, all of the communities along Broadway again, kind of with some renewed excitement too nice. um, and energy, just because this is a major step for our community and broadway is i mean truly one of the most important streets in louisville um it's one of the most important streets for our transit system um and kind of the transit future that um that we're hoping to help bring about so um That's great. Well, and then the other thing that is happening, which I know there's you're seeking public comment about now, is the Preston Corridor plan. This is massive, all the way from the river to the edge of the county, right? Yeah, the Preston Corridor plan is a massive undertaking. <laughs> um, I'm one of the managers for that, along wow. with our director, Mike King. Um, it is a 13-mile corridor wow. from end to end. Um, one of the unique things I like to say about Preston is that it is actually one of our only streets. I think it's our only street that doesn't change names, really, from oh, right. down downtown all the way to the county line there's a bit of a distinction on the street and highway but uh, (laughs) but it keeps keeps the preston component um yes we are um 
very far along kind of in that visioning step with that. Um, it is following up uh, the Broadway All the Way plan and all of these transportation planning efforts are coordinated um, and kind of uh, rooted in the Move Louisville transportation plan that the city mm, produced right. um, several years ago. Um, and it identified uh, five corridors, I believe, uh, for premium transit. So that would be Dixie, Broadway, Preston, uh, Bardstown and Baxter, and then um, eventually Frankfurt Avenue, Shelbyville Road, um, wow. and kind of tying those together to become the backbone of a new premium transit or enhanced transit yeah. network in our community. And so our office, as the lead office on the Move Louisville project, has also kind of taken up uh, on those implementation matrices that uh, <laughs> that Rachel brought up earlier. You know, uh, one of the things for us was to keep leading these these planning processes for the individual corridors. So. Dixie done, Broadway in action, the Bardstown Baxter safety study with all of the new things going yeah. on on um, those corridors um, was a planning effort that came through our office. Um, Preston is an active um, planning stages right now. Um, we've just had a meeting actually this week with the Smoketown Shelby Park Neighborhood Associations uh, to talk through um, some of the particulars of the design in those uh, neighborhoods. And so um, we are always having, you know, uh, conversations with people along the corridor. We have uh, some community engagement uh, specialists who go out and, and try to be as present as possible mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, on, on the corridor. And um, yeah, Preston provided a lot of uh, interesting challenges and opportunities, too. It's yeah. one of our first projects where we worked really, really closely with the Office of Globalization because of how many different languages are spoken sure. along the corridor um, and trying to provide uh, translation and interpretation services at our public meetings. Um, you know, it's wow. it's been uh, a really, really um, amazing uh, process. And it's part of what I love about being a planner is to go to different places in the community and to really uh, hear about what people's daily experiences are and figuring out, you know, what can we do to help? What a great end, end note that is. Uh, I'm sorry we're all out of time because I'd love to chat you off some more. We'll have to have you all back, get some updates on these plans in the future. Thank you so much, Tony Mattingly and Rachel Casey, for joining me from Metro Louisville's Office of Advanced Planning and Sustainability. Thank you for this good work in urban planning. It is so needed. Thank oh you gosh, so much. No. We really appreciate the opportunity. And uh, next time we'll bring Jessica, our art yeah. administrator. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, We're going to talk art sometime, too. Yeah, thank you, Justin. All right. Stay tuned, everybody. Coming up in just a second, I got your community action calendar. A whole bunch of ideas for how you can get engaged in sustainability this week. So stay tuned, my friends. Changing and 
are back here on Sustainability Now with me, Justin Mogg, on your community radio station, Forward Radio. I hope you've got your pencils sharpened and your calendars out and are ready to take action for sustainability this week. Before we get to our calendar, though, I just want to spend send a special thank you to everyone who donated during our incredibly successful Give for Good Louisville Day on Thursday. We vastly surpassed our goal, got about 11% more than our goal of $4,000, thanks to so many dozens of donors. We had 59 unique donations, just barely under the line for that 60 cutoff that we were hoping for. But hey, we did a great job and we raised so much money to help keep Forward Radio on the air. And I just want to personally thank you all for contributing to this important community resource, providing you independent perspectives and news and media that you won't hear anywhere else. And this kind of community action calendar you're not going to hear anywhere else either. Coming up on Tuesday, September 20th at 1 p.m., it's one of three events at UofL on Tuesday that I think are great and would love for you all to participate in. Uh, at 1 p.m., there's going to be a panel on the Black Six. It's taking place at UofL's Student Activities Center in the Floyd Theater up on the third floor. UofL's ANS Office of Diversity, Engagement, Culture, and Climate is hosting a panel discussion featuring remaining members and relatives of the Black Six as they discuss the events leading up to the tri- to the trial and the similarities with today's social justice movement. The Black Six was a group of black Louisville leaders, including the wife of a prominent black physician, who were accused of plotting to blow up chemical plants in West Louisville. The trial lasted a little over two years. Finally, with little evidence, Lady Justice moved slowly and the defendants were exonerated. You can learn more about it at this great panel on Tuesday, September 20th from 1 to 2.30 p.m. in the Student Activities Center at UofL Up in the Floyd Theater on the third floor. More information is available at events.louisville.edu. Now, also, just after that, at 2.30 on Tuesday, if you're down on UofL's campus, you might as well move on over to the Belknap Academic Building, the brand-new classroom building there. Uh, At Room 130, there is going to be a Public Sustainability Partnerships Collaboration or Collective Impact Lecture with Brent Fryrear. It's the Department of Geographic and Environmental Sciences Seminar Series featuring Brent Fryrear speaking on Public Sustainability Partnerships. Brent is the Director of the Partnership for a Green City and will present on the work his organization has been doing to advance sustainability initiatives across the largest public institutions in town. More information is available at louisville.edu slash sustainability, but just come on out 2.30 on Tuesday in the Belknap Academic Building at UofL, room 130. Now, finally, at two at 3 p.m. Uh, on Tuesday the 20th, there is going to be a Human Trafficking 101 workshop held at UofL's brand new Cultural and Equity Center. If you haven't seen it yet, it is really awesome. It's one, one of the new dorms that is right next to the clock tower. And in their multi-purpose room, they're going to be having this workshop. You can join the UofL Women's Center and People Against Trafficking Humans Coalition of Kentucky, who you heard about here on last week's Access Hour Live on Thursday for Give for Good. It was such an inspiring conversation I got to have with those representatives of PATH, the PATH Coalition of Kentucky, and they're going to be doing this workshop with the Women's Center for an interactive workshop on human trafficking and prevention. So if you want to learn more, this is a great opportunity. They do ask that you RSVP since there are limited spots available. You can find the link to do so at louisville.edu sustainability, and it's from 3 to 5 on Tuesday the 20th. 
Now, in the evening on Tuesday, September 20th, nothing to do with U of L, Louisville Sierra Club and Habitat for Humanity will present on their sustainability partnership. It's online at 7 p.m. Ford Radio's proud community partner, the Greater Louisville Sierra Club, invites you to join on Tuesday at 7 p.m. via Zoom as they welcome Rob Locke, Executive Director of Louisville Habitat for Humanity, for a presentation of their sustainability work, including the recent solar partnership with the local Sierra Club. Louisville's Habitat a vision is a world where everyone has a decent place to live. Creating new affordable homes is their primary line of service, but the organization also provides community development and home repair in targeted underserved neighborhoods. Louisville Habitat works to build homes to energy star standards so their houses are affordable to live in as well as to acquire. In Louisville, Habitat is partnering with the Greater Louisville Sierra Club to install solar panels and an information monitor in the Jane and Jewel Center, which hosts hundreds of volunteers and low-income homeowners for community events every year. They hope this system will educate the community in general, but particularly Habitat staff and volunteers to alleviate concerns about solar maintenance, which may eventually lead to solar panels on Habitat homes. You can find the link to register for the Tuesday 7 p.m. online event at sierraclub.org Kentucky. Now, skipping ahead to Friday, September 23rd, there's going to be a State of Black Louisville event at 530 at the Norton Health Care Sports and Learning Center, 3029 West Muhammad Ali Boulevard. The Louisville Urban League is hosting their annual event, assessing problems and solutions within Black Louisville. At the event, the league will release its 2020. 22 state of black louisville report with a special update on the work of a path forward for louisville which began during the height of the pandemic and following the tragic deaths of brianna taylor and david mcatee so join us on friday the 23rd at 5 30 p.m to hear from contributors and learn more about plans to address systemic issues facing black louisvillians light refreshments will be provided you can learn more and rsvp at lul O-R-G. That's the Louisville Urban League, LUL.org. And it's Friday at 5.30 p.m. out at uh, the Norton Healthcare Sports and Learning Center on Muhammad Ali Boulevard. Now, also on Friday the 23rd at 7 p.m., the Center for Neighborhoods is hosting its 50th anniversary party at the Logan Street Market in their special events room there at 1001 Logan Street. Center for Neighborhoods is proud to celebrate you, the communities we serve, as we commemorate 50 years of neighborhood growth. Enjoy dancing from 7 to 10 Refreshments will be provided by FOCO, and you'll enjoy a full wine and cocktail bar by The Breeze Wine Bar. A silent auction is also available, featuring original art, restaurant gift cards, specialty wine baskets, and more. All proceeds from ticket sales and the silent auction directly support programs and services from the Center for Neighborhoods. Entry is offered at no cost. A $20 donation is suggested if it's within your means. There are $50 VIP tickets offer complimentary champagne and specialty cocktails throughout the evening while they last. We hope you will join neighbors from all over Louisville as we toast 50 years of community outcomes and look forward to the next 50. Tickets and more information are available at centerforneighborhoods.org. And again, it's Friday, 7 to 10 p.m. at Logan Street Market. Now, Saturday, September 24th, in the morning, it's a sensational Saturday gardening at 
Breslin Park, 1388 Lexington Road. Louisville Park seeks volunteers to help tackle the weeds which are taking over. Did you know that Breslin Park has its own skate park? It's a pretty cool place. Located at the intersection of Lexington and Payne Street, this great little park can see a lot of foot traffic and it needs some special attention. They're looking forward to some Saturday morning gardening with you, so please join them. Meet in the parking lot, wear closed-toed shoes. They'll supply gardening tools and gloves, but you can also bring your own, too. You can find the link to sign up at bestparksever.com. Just come on out this Saturday the 24th, 9.30 to 1130 a.m. at Breslin Park at Lexington and Payne. Also Saturday, it's the next pop-up drop-off event that's a free recycling event for residents of Jefferson County from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. And this month, it is out at Sun Valley Park and the Ashby Lane Baptist Church is co-hosting. So it's located at 6617 Ashby Lane, and you'll be able to drop off up to three electronic items for recycling, any metal or appliances. They do not accept refrigerators or any other items containing coolant but other metal and appliances will be recycled. You can also bring up to four passenger tires for recycling. Your common household recyclables following curbside rules, as well as yard waste and wooden pallets can also be composted. Documents can be brought for shredding and recycling. And if you've got any prescription medication, you can just drop that off if it's surplus or expired or anything for proper disposal. And that is all happening this Saturday, 10 to 2 at Sun Valley. Valley Park, and more information is available at louisvilleky.gov slash recycling. And finally, want to let you know that on Sunday, Louisville Lots of Food will be having a fall foraging workshop on nuts you shouldn't be afraid of. It's from 2 to 4 p.m. at Lots of Food over at 1647 Portland Avenue. There is a fee to register for this fall foraging workshop, but it's on a sliding scale depending on your means. And it includes a deep dive on black walnuts and ginkgo nuts, as well as a collection of fall foraging favorites. Conquer your fear and get foraging today. Almonds, jam, and more lots of food products are also available for sale online. Along with tickets for the Fall Foraging Workshop, you can find it all at louisvillelotsoffood.com. And that is all the time we have for today here on Sustainability Now. I want to thank you so much for tuning in and for giving till it hurts. <laughs> thank you so much for supporting us during Give for Good last week. We really blew past our goal and we're so happy that you all contributed. Thank you so much. I look forward to being back in your ears again in one week's time. Be well, my friends. 